Welcome to a special presentation of Turn On The Jets Digital. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And this is Meet the Candidates, the Matt Rule edition. If you don't know who Matt Rule is, he really made a name for himself. First as an assistant at Temple for many years, then as assistant offensive line coach for the New York Giants for a season, then going back to Temple as the head coach, then on to Baylor where he is right now, and he has been an intriguing name that has been on the lips of a lot of Jets fans lately. And so I wanted to go ahead and get some information from people who covered him closely, and we'll start where Matt Rule really started to get some prominence at Temple with the man who is the editor of AlScoop.com for the Rivals Network, Mr. John DiCarlo. John, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, no problem, Scott. Glad to do it. I'm really excited to talk to you about Matt Rule because I think he's a really intriguing candidate. So let's take this back to the very beginning. You've covered Matt Rule since he got to Temple in 2006. So tell me about what the team was like when he first showed up. When he first showed up, Temple was, um, you know, I mean, find me two or three more remarkable college football turnarounds over the last 20 or 30 years. I mean, he's been part of and was part of turning around what was easily the worst college football program in America. Um, you know, back in, you know, it's been less than 15 years since the program was almost dropped. They were kicked out of the Big East. So Al Golden comes in. Uh, they got into, they were like an affiliate member of the MAC. They got into the MAC. And uh, Al Golden brought Matt Rule onto his staff. And Matt drives up from where he'd been working before at Western Carolina. And I believe he and Julie, his wife, were going back to see family in State College. And he stopped by at Temple and said, hey, I want to work for you. And Al Golden took a shot at him. And uh, I, I think one of Matt's strengths at the college level was before he became a head coach. I mean, he, he's pretty much coached every position in the game. He was a defensive line coach. He was an offensive line coach, an offensive coordinator. He's coached quarterbacks. He's coached linebackers. So he really does have, I guess, sort of like a global approach to the game. I mean, he knows a lot of positions. He was a college linebacker at Penn State. He walked on. But yeah, the the Temple program was was bad. It was really bad. Um, and you talked to some former players. Matt was part of that rebuilding effort. So their their practice facility is over at Tenth and Diamond Streets on like the northeast end of the campus, and their facility is great. It's in North Philadelphia. And uh, you know, years ago, before the thing really got going, some of these players who came in in two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight were really part of those classes that got Temple to where it is now. They went to a bowl game uh, against UCLA in 20, uh, 2009. Um, and you talk to some of those players, and when you talk about what the program was like when Al Golden got there and when Matt Rule got there, um, there used to be a housing complex near Temple's practice facility. And some of the players would walk by, and they would get heckled by players. Uh, they, excuse me, they would get heckled by some of the neighbors there, and they would say, we can get 11 guys to beat you guys. And they would heckle them and they would tease them. And Steve Maneri is one of the guys I would talk to about this. Um, Steve had a stint with the Patriots, with the Chiefs. I think Steve went to camp with the Jets, if I'm not mistaken, right before. I think he played about four or five years as a backup tight end. Had a brief stint with the Jets before he bowed out of football. And, and Steve told me on a couple of occasions, he said, I'd look at some of the guys and say, no one else in America is going through this. No one else is getting heckled by people in the neighborhood saying, we could beat you, we could beat you. But then they started playing better, and they started playing better. And like I said, they go to a bowl game in 2009. They win a bowl game in 2011 when Matt was there as an assistant with Steve Adazio, who's who's now Boston College. So then they started sending guys to the NFL, whether it was 
uh, Terrence Knighton, who uh, is now coaching, I think, at Wagner, I want to say, but Knighton was in the NFL for a while. Matt actually helped Terrence Knighton drop about 50 or 60 pounds and become a good college player and then eventually an NFL player. Um, Matt's had a hand in getting a lot of these guys to the NFL, whether it's been Tahir Whitehead. Um, you know, coaches will joke around and say that they can't do much with kickers, but Brandon McManus, uh, Tyler Matakevich is in the NFL now with the Steelers, Hassan Reddick. Um, Temple's been putting a lot of guys in the NFL, so it's a completely different program now than when Matt first got there. But again, when he got there with Al Golden, it was the program was in bad, bad shape. It had no respect. They would be lucky to out recruit UMass or Villanova for a kid. And now, you know, they're still not they're not going to out recruit Alabama or or Texas, but they have on occasion out recruited Penn State. They have on occasion out recruited Pitt. Um, though they've gotten to that point because of so much grunt work and so much just restructuring and changing of culture. So he was part of that ground level with Al Golden that came in and just completely took everything apart and put it back together again. And, and along the way, there was this scrutiny. Is it ever going to get turned around the temple? Is it just, is there just too much stuff stacked against them? So he's been through as cliche a term as it is in sports. He's been through a lot of adversity as a coach in terms of really changing the culture of something. I mean, he's been through that at Temple. Uh, he's certainly gone through it at Baylor over the past couple of years. And um, I think it's something that could help him in the NFL. Although he, of course, has never been a head coach in the NFL. He's been through the ringer on a lot of stuff. One prominent player on Temple that I'm sure Matt Rule would recognize when he gets <laughs> here, if he gets the job, is Robbie Anderson. But we'll get back to that in a little bit. John, before we talk about that, though, let's talk about Matt Rule, the assistant coach. What was he like as an assistant? What was his relationship like with the players? What was his reputation like with the other coaches? What was he like to deal with for the media? Basically, give me an overview of what Matt Rule was like his first stint at Temple as an assistant. Uh, just, just very relatable, very practical. Um, I think when all of the things that make him a, honestly like a good person and a quality person, a very thorough coach, were things that were maybe working, not working against him, but from a perception standpoint, when he came back to be the head coach, you actually had people saying, is he too nice of a guy to be a head coach, to be a CEO? And I would say, no, I don't think so, because I've been around him in practice. He can get, he can get on people. I mean, he, people will say that he's a player's coach, but he knows how to put his, put his, you know, put his foot down when he needs to. I mean, he can be a very high strung guy, a very energetic guy, a very passionate guy. He's just really, really smart and really thorough and knows how to surround himself with quality people, with resources. So when he was an assistant, he just never, ever wanted to be outworked. And a temple, not that you don't have to work hard at other places, but it just wasn't a question. You had to outwork people. You had to, you had to, again, like some of the recruits I mentioned before, whether it was Tyler Matikiewicz, to hear Whitehead, Muhammad Wilkerson, um, Robbie Anderson, you know, can't believe I didn't bring him up before. Um, these were guys that did not have 10, 15 power five offers. And Matt was always willing to go the extra mile to, to find a good player, uh, to put an extra time with a, with a player, to put an extra time with a high school coach. So he's just a very relatable, practical, smart guy and a respected assistant coach and I think kids respected him because like I said he had pretty much coached every position he was a D-line coach at UCLA he had been a linebacker at Penn State he'd worked with quarterbacks there was a position there really wasn't a position or a side of the ball that he didn't know 
And um, so he just, and, and any time you mentioned dealing with the media, I think that'll help him up in New York. Again, he hasn't done it on a, on a day-in, day-out basis. I'm sure he wasn't talking to the media a ton when he was an assistant offensive line coach with the Giants, but he just, he doesn't get too high or low with the media. He's respectful. He's practical. Um, I think he gets, he gets the the role of the media. He gets he gets everybody's role. I mean, he's the type of guy who will go in and talk to every single person in the building, say hello to them, wish them well. Um, and you don't get that a whole lot. And obviously, there are a lot of people in the business who are really really good at what they do, but um, aren't easy to deal with. Um, he's just very passionate about the game, and he's very passionate about taking the extra step to do whatever he needs to do. Um, he grew up in New York when he was younger. I mean, he's traveled around a little bit. Um, there are a lot of people who assume that he grew up in State College his whole life because uh, he went to State College High School. He had learned the game from his father, who was a coach. Uh, but his father was a minister, and he traveled around a little bit when he was younger. But he spent a fair amount of his time uh, of his childhood in Manhattan. So he likes being in cities. He still, I think he still misses Philadelphia. He still has a place with his wife in Cape May. Um, so he likes this region of the country. He gets the Northeast, gets the fan base, gets the culture, gets the media. Um, if it works out for him, I think it could be, you know, potentially a good fit because of how relatable he is and because of how much he understands about this region, the game, the players, the, the, the fan base. And, uh, and I know that when he was with the Giants, you know, I would ask him, I, even after he left Temple and was with the Giants, I would just pretty much just stay in touch with him just asking him about certain aspects of the game. What do you think of this? What do you think of this play? What do you think of this player? How would you handle this situation? And we would talk, and he would just stay in touch. And, and I asked him what it was like for him in the NFL and how he was being treated and if he was getting the same level of respect from players that you know a 10- or 15-year NFL veteran assistant coach would. And he really enjoyed his time there. He said, the one thing I can say, and he said, I'm not sure if it's just a Giants thing or if it's an NFL thing. He said, if players think that you can help them, if you can show them one single thing that will help them get better, they will listen to you. They will really, really listen to you. And I, so I, I know that he liked his time in the NFL and he liked that. Not that college coaches, uh, excuse me, college kids won't listen to you, but the level of professionalism, I think, was was something that he really liked and really enjoyed, and he really liked, you know, working with NFL players. So I think it's something that he liked, and that's why he has an, uh, you know, a, a, a legitimate interest. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. 
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Let me ask you a little bit about that, John, because he was at Temple for quite a while, and then in 2012, he left to go to the Giants and be the assistant offensive line coach. Now, while he was there, it's worth noting that the Giants offensive line jumped from one of the worst in the league to one of the better ones in the league, and then actually after he left, went and jumped back down to one of the worst in the league again. So obviously, he had some sort of effect there. What was behind that decision for him to leave Temple and go to the Giants? I think part of it was, you know, so Steve Adazio comes in, and Steve was there for two seasons. Um, they had a good season in Steve's first season, and then they had uh, gotten back into the Big East for a year and kind of got knocked around. I think they were like 4-8, and eight, and that was the year that Matt wasn't around. I think Matt wanted to, and I think he knew he needed to get away from Temple for a while, and he eventually did want to come back to become the head coach, but he had an opportunity to go learn in the NFL, and he seized it, and he took it, you know. And when he was with the Giants, he still stayed in touch with the Temple program because he still loves it. I think he still has a soft spot for the program just because he spent 10 years of his life there. There's a fan base right now that is currently kind of jilted, and if you haven't been following it, you know, after Matt left, uh, Jeff Collins comes in for two years, does a great job, and, and used those past two seasons to get to Georgia Tech. Temple hires Manny Diaz. He sticks around for all 17 days before he jumps back to Miami. And my fan base is saying, when is anybody going to stick around? When is anybody going to stick around? And, you know, I think until they get into the ACC or a bigger conference, yeah, it might be that way. But Matt spent 10 years of his life at Temple. Again, six years as an assistant, four as the head coach. And he truly loved the place. And, again, I think he still has a soft spot for the place. I know he still stays in touch and, you know, tries to do what he can to help. But... I think he knew that he needed to get away for a while and go somewhere else and learn someplace else. And he had been other places in his career. Like I said, when he was young, he was at UCLA, and that's where he got connected to Phil Snow, who he eventually hired at Temple as his defensive coordinator and brought with him, uh, brought Phil with him to, to Baylor. And Phil had experience in the NFL. Um, he had been at Western Carolina. He had been at Temple. So I think he saw an opportunity to, to go to the NFL, learn from Tom Coughlin, be around NFL players, because I think he's had... I don't think he's been so obsessed with getting to the NFL, but he knew it was a goal at some point and, and said, I need to get away for a while and learn from, you know, one of the best coaches in the game, uh, an organization. I mean, maybe I should be saying this on a Jets podcast, but an organization that at the time had a lot of credibility and a lot of stability and, and saw the opportunity to, uh, to go there and just, and really learn in the league. And, and you make a great point. I mean, um, I mean, he wasn't the only person coaching the O-line there, but they did get better when he was there. He had an opportunity to work with Chris Nee, again, work with Tom Coughlin, um, and just learn NFL life for a season. And, uh, and again, I think he made an impact there. And, and the players, as I said earlier, made an impact on him. I think he needed to go there and see that, like, hey, I can do this. You know, even if I'm a, an assistant coach coming from Temple, players will listen to me. And I think he learned how to communicate with NFL players and, and saw that he could do it. So I think it was an important step in his career and one that he felt he needed to take. So Rule goes to the NFL for a year and then comes back as head coach this time of Temple. Talk me through how this whole thing played out. I think he knew once um, 
once Steve Adazio left, I think Matt knew Matt wanted to be the head coach at Temple. I think it was just, it became a special place for him. It became a special place for Al Golden. It's become um, again there aren't too many programs like it in college football. You know the, the the campus is situated in North Philly. The campus it's always been a good school, but the campus has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and more vibrant. And again, I think anybody that was involved in the turnaround of the program. I think when, again, when Al Golden got to Temple in 06, for that 06 season, I think Temple and Buffalo played each other in the season opener. And I think they did in the previous season, they were like two of the worst programs in the entire country. But Temple was the only one that had been kicked out of a conference and had almost been dropped. And I think because of everything that Matt went through with guys like Al Golden, with guys like um, George DeLeon, and Matt's been smart enough to have a guy like George with him at Temple I mean, Al Golden brought George Daly on to Temple, but George had worked with Donovan McNabb and Marvin Harrison at Syracuse, and George has worked in the NFL. Um, anybody who was involved at Temple, I think, just kind of caught a little bit of that bug and saying, like, hey, it's a, it's a special place. We were involved in the turnaround, and Philadelphia really became home for him for a while, and I knew that he always wanted to come back as the head coach. So, again, he goes away to the NFL, but I knew that if the job opened up, and I think people knew that Steve Adazio was not for long at Temple. And again, tip your cap to Steve. You know, they, he took him to, uh, you know, they hadn't been. Temple had gone from 1979 to the Garden State Bowl, which doesn't exist anymore. It was played up in the Meadowlands. 30 years later, they go to another bowl game in 2009, lose to UCLA. 2011 was their first bowl win since 1979. Um, so Steve got them a bowl win, but. Yeah, I think as soon as something opened up at another place, Steve was going to move along, and he did the Boston College. So as soon as the job opened up, I knew Matt wanted it. Uh, he interviewed for it. Bill Bradshaw, the former athletic director, hired him and, and made a great decision. And um, we actually broke that story at the time. I think um, NBC's college football talk gave us credit for breaking it, but we broke the story and um, just because I was able to stay in touch with Matt, and I knew he wanted the, knew he wanted the job. and. You know, they interviewed a few other people, but he wanted to come back to be the head coach at Temple because he really cared about the place. And obviously it was a head coaching job, but he knew what would work and what wouldn't work at Temple, which is, you know, it's just as important to know both ends of it. And uh, ended up doing some great things. I mean, won him a conference championship. They beat Penn State for the first time in 41 years, which was a monumental accomplishment for them. So he outcoached James Franklin. Um, my goodness, they almost beat Notre Dame uh, in the same season. Uh, that was a really, really interesting time for the program. The, um, college football game day came to Philadelphia, which just doesn't happen. Again, it's a pro, you know, it's a pro sports town, and uh, they should have beaten Notre Dame in that game. I know that's one of Matt's biggest regrets. He really, they had Notre Dame on the ropes. They had Deshaun Kaiser and Will Fuller on the ropes, and should have beaten them. But I mean, they turned they turned Philadelphia into a college football town that week, and it was really cool to see. Um, and you know, you had people coming into town saying, I never thought I would see this. So, and Matt will tell you, he wasn't the only person responsible for the turnaround. He'll point to Al Golden. He'll point to Steve Adazio. He'll point to so many other players and assistant coaches that he worked with. He's well aware of that, but he was a big piece of the turnaround at Temple. So to come back and be the head coach, uh, you know, meant a lot to him. And, uh, I mean, he, he declined an offer from Missouri to go there, to go to Missouri the year before he jumped to Baylor. Same athletic director, Mac Rhodes was at Missouri. Matt turned him down and turned out a lot of money to stay at Temple. And then the following year, Mac was at Baylor and pretty much, I'm sure, essentially said to him, like, you're not going to turn me down a second time and saw the challenge of going to Baylor. But, uh, yeah, being at Temple meant a lot to him. And like I said, he's still 
still really likes this region of the country, you know, still has a place in Cape May and still likes being in cities and grew up in Manhattan. So in that way, I think it would be a, a good fit for him. John, tell me about Matt Rule, the head coach at Temple, because we talked about him as an assistant. We talked about his motivations for coming in, for leaving, and for coming back. Tell me about what he did as the coach, as an in-game manager, because obviously it's a very different ball game when you're the head man as opposed to a coordinator or a position coach, and you have to deal with making in-game decisions, clock management, roster management, dealing with all of the players on the roster, developing players, and... Because this is a Jets podcast, if he had any kind of special relationship with Robbie Anderson. So just if you could, tell me everything you can about Matt Rule as the head coach at Temple. Yeah, I mean, again, I think he did a great job. And that will be the first person um, to tell you that there are calls he would like to have back. I mean, he was an offensive coordinator at Temple before he became the head coach. And I like to joke around with, with my staff that and it's probably like this at every college program you cover. It's always the coordinator's fault. And they don't realize that sometimes it's the head coach that's overruling a coordinator. So, I mean, he knows what it's like to be a coordinator. Uh, as a probably what really my guess would be that the reason he's getting NFL looks is because he has that CEO ability. And I don't mean that in a fake or a disingenuous way. I mean it like he really knows how to manage every level of the whole operation. Um, and in terms of in-game, you know, in-game management. I mean, he again. I mean, he was the head coach of a Temple team that that beat Penn State. That was such a monumental, monumental thing. I mean, Temple had been just dominated, dominated by Penn State. The two programs were light years apart, and Penn State comes to Philly in uh, in 2015 in the season opener. And um, I mean, they made Christian. I mean, they sacked Christian Hackenberg 11 times. They orchestrated a great defense. They won that. I think it was 27 to 10. Uh, I mean, they, they, he outcoached James Franklin. And again, Matt will be the first to admit that he didn't do it alone and he had good coaches on that staff. Um, but I mean, that was a huge win and he went toe to toe with Brian Kelly, you know, seven or eight weeks later and honestly came down to Temple having a, a former walk on at safety, not getting there in time to just take the right angle on Will Fuller. If he takes the right angle, he picks up the ball and brings it back and Lincoln Financial Field probably burns to the ground and that would have been such a huge, huge thing for Temple. But he's gone toe-to-toe with good coaches and outcoached them. Um, again, getting Temple to a conference championship the following year was a huge deal because so much of the turnaround at Temple was getting kids and getting players to believe that they belong there because uh, in the years when they were in the Big East the first time around, they would sometimes – go toe-to-toe with a West Virginia, a Miami, a Boston College, and they would go up against some really good players. And there's just so many years of just institutional bad luck in the program and or just getting getting their barn doors blown off of them. So when you come in and you rebuild a program like Temple, you're literally, you're a coach, you're a game manager, you're a coordinator, you're getting the kids to you're a psychiatrist a psychologist you're trying to get the kids to believe that they belong there and what he and other coaches were able to do was to make sure that these kids had a healthy chip on their shoulder and say hey you can play with anybody you know you just you got the opportunity here and make the most of it um i think he was good with that with robbie anderson a, a undrafted kid who still is is has to be one of the skinniest players in the nfl but has great <laughs> hands and he's a great route runner and he's fast as hell and that helps him out so as a as a head coach, I think he has he can go X and O's with people. He knows the ins and outs of the game. 
but I really think he knows how to manage every level of it and be self-aware and know what buttons to push with certain people, know what buttons to push with the media, know what buttons to push with his assistants. Um, and that was a, I think that was a real asset for them. But to, to win a conference championship at Temple, it's not easy. To turn the whole thing around was not easy. So what Al Golden did was was monstrous. What Al Gold, uh, what what Matt Rule did, and other people did to help him turn things around was it was a huge feat. So, um, yeah, he just always seemed to, you know, what know what buttons to push with players. He knew how to reach them, knew how to motivate them, and he can be he can be friendly and approachable, but he's not afraid to to get on guys. So I would see him in in the building. I would see him in practices and. Um, just knew how to build guys back up when they need to be built back up. Um, knew how to recruit, knew how to recruit to Temple, and um, you know, and and Robbie Anderson's a really interesting story too because Robbie came in as an unheralded recruit as a kid out of Florida, and Florida's loaded with talent. You could still be a third team All State player and still be really good. He came in as kind of an under the radar recruit, I think, under Steve Adazio, and. I think Robbie had left the team the first time around, came back, and um, had a good season, uh, really came into his own as a wide receiver, and then had some academic issues and and left Temple. I think he was dismissed from the university. And then I think some of the guidelines changed. I, I, don't, I still to this day don't know quite what the deal was, but he was allowed to come back, I think, along with some other student athletes and uh, really made good on a second chance and, and became a better student. And I think Robbie dealt with a lot growing up. And, um, I mean, certainly he still had his maturity issues in the NFL, as you know, but Matt knew how to reach him and knew how to coach him. And again, Matt would never tell you that he was the only guy to help with Robbie's development. But, um, I mean, he was, Robbie was a difference maker in the program. I mean, he just knew how to get open, knew how to catch the ball. And, he's indicative of a lot of these temple guys that have come out. I mean, I wasn't surprised that Robbie didn't get drafted, but because of, you know, maybe again, NFL people look at him and be like, this kid is really skinny, but again, he's fast. He knows how to get open. I think people don't realize how good his hands are, how good his awareness is in terms of knowing where to be on the field. And I know sometimes it's feast or famine with him, but the fact that he is in the NFL doing what he's doing, a deep threat, um, a, a difference maker in NFL games is is pretty remarkable. So Matt knows him well, knew how to coach him, knew how to reach him. So uh, yeah, it certainly would be a cool thing for you know for them to be to be reunited. I read recently that the Eagles tried to I think offer in a fourth round pick, depending on what report you believe, right around the trade deadline. So the Eagles were trying to get him when they needed a deep threat, but uh, it would be something to you know to see them reunited. But um, yeah, it's it's. He comes from a unique set of circumstances in that he really was part of one of the biggest rebuilding efforts of, of really, honestly, the modern era in college football. Again, it's not going to get a ton of national recognition. It did when they beat Penn State, when they almost beat Notre Dame. They were in the national eye there. But um, he just really has a unique background and a unique set of circumstances that allows him to, I think, work well with a lot of different players, different positions, and kind of just get a feel for the whole you know, global operation of everything. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint 
unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. John, tell me a little bit about what went into Matt Rule's decision to move on and go to Baylor. And also, if you could, I know that a lot of his assistants did go with him to Baylor. So tell me a little bit about what went into that as well as far as his ability to manage a staff and to maintain loyalty among them. I think if I had to take an educated guess, um, yeah, unless I've, unless I've missed something, I think Trace Armstrong is still his agent. And I would imagine that I would imagine that at some point Trace Armstrong probably said to him, like, look, if you do eventually want to go to the NFL, you may have to go to a Power Five conference and prove yourself at a Power Five conference before you get an NFL job. And um, I know that the decision to leave Temple was not one that he took lightly. Like I said, I mean, he after that 2015 season where they beat Penn State, they almost beat Notre Dame. They lost to Houston in the conference championship that year, um, and that was a really good, really, really good Houston team that eventually went on to, uh, you know, to win a New Year's Six Bowl game. Um, yeah, he, he was offered the job at Missouri, turned it down. Missouri counteroffer, he still turned him down. Um, but I think at that point, once you hire Trace as your agent, you know, you're, you're eventually going to get opportunities and, um, I think it's something that he thought long and hard about. And again, he still really likes, still, I think, misses the area, really connected with North Philadelphia, really connected with Temple, really connected with the city of Philadelphia and, and this area in general. So, um, you know, he put in four years where if you, if you do well at Temple, you know, I mean, look, Jeff Collins only took him two years to turn Temple's success that he had at Temple into the Georgia Tech job. Steve Adazio only took him one good season at Temple, one 500 season to get the Boston College job. So he fought long and hard about it. But I think I would imagine that that Trace told him, you're going to need to go coach in a Power 5 conference before you have a chance uh, to ultimately get to the NFL. Um, I, don't, I don't know if there was still maybe a stigma of the NFL maybe not taking somebody out of Temple. I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe if he's still at Temple and – had maybe won a New Year's Six Bowl game, maybe the Jets would still be calling, maybe the maybe the Colts would be calling like they did last year. Who who truly knows? But I think it was probably that decision to say, I, I, I'm going to have to prove myself at the Power Five level. And, I mean, an Oregon wanted him. I mean, Baylor wasn't his only option. There are some people who find it hard to believe that he turned down Oregon to go to Baylor, and uh, Baylor was a mess when he got there. We all know what had gone wrong at Baylor, but... I think Matt was the perfect guy for the job because he's not afraid to go in and clean house and be honest with kids and say, you know, I don't care. I don't care who you like. I don't care who you date. I don't care how you wear your hair, but you're going to, you're going to go to class. You're going to treat women with respect. You're going to treat your teammates with respect. You're going to treat your coaches with respect. And if not, you're gone. And, um, he wasn't afraid to part ways with players when he was at temple. And, um, so I think in a lot of ways he was the perfect guy for that job. It was an opportunity to go coach in the big 12 and, and proved that it could be done. And I mean, hell, he got an interview for the Colts job after going one and eleven at Baylor. But um, it didn't surprise me that they went one eleven because he's not going to cut corners and not going to fill his roster with a ton of JUCO guys just so he can speed up the process by two or three years. But um, and in terms of being able to 
retain some of the important guys around them, whether it was um, Francis Brown, who actually has just come back to Temple recently to be a, a defensive backs coach and or maybe a co-defensive coordinator based on who the new coach is going to be here. Um, you know, keeping guys around them like Phil Snow, who's been a, a veteran defensive coordinator who's, you know, worked with guys like Terrell Suggs in the past and Pat Tillman, uh, Mike Saravo, you know, uh, Jeff Nixon. Uh, Matt knows how to surround himself with the right people. And I think if he did get to the NFL, he's not going to be the type of guy that would come in and be like, well, I'm just going to do it my way. He's going to listen to NFL people and say, okay, what works, what doesn't work, what works, what doesn't work. I think he's very good and very self-aware with that stuff. But getting back to the Baylor decision, I think he felt it was a step that he needed to take to challenge himself to say, hey, I got to maybe prove myself otherwise before I can take that step uh, to the NFL. John, it sounds like you think he would, at the very least, be interested in listening to the Jets should they call him. So here's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to put you on the spot as somebody that knows Matt. And obviously what you say doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen. Just a hunch, your gut feeling. Let's Mm -hmm. say Woody Johnson, Chris Johnson, Mike McCagnin interview Matt Rule, and then they call him back and they say, Matt, we would like to offer you the job as the next head coach of the New York Jets. Do you believe that he would accept the offer? I do. I do. I mean, unless, I mean, I really think, and again, Jets fans might be listening to this saying, who the heck is Matt Rule? Why would he have other offers? But the only reason I could see him not taking it is if maybe there was another opening in another NFL town where they, they, they felt the same way. Um, but I do think he would take it again. I mean, he, he knows the area. I think he would be up for the challenge. Uh, I think he's interested in the job. So, um, if he got the offer, I would be, I'd be surprised if he turned it down. He is the editor of alscoop.com and did a fantastic job breaking down what Matt Rule could bring to the table if he were to become the next head coach of the Jets. Told us all about his tenure at Temple, not just as an assistant coach, but as a head coach. And you heard the man. His gut feeling is that if Matt Rule were offered the job, that he would be interested and he would probably take the job. So I hope that they offer it to him and I hope that he takes it. So I hope that you're right. John DiCarlo, the editor at AlScoop.com. Thank you so much for joining me. Why don't you tell everybody who doesn't know where to find you and your great work, where they can get a hold of you hi uh, you can find me on twitter um at j DiCarlo, j d i c a r l o uh and then at al scoop we have a twitter account there it's at al scoop underscore com uh so again we cover temple football basketball and, and recruiting for the yahoo sports network so uh again never a dull moment we're covering a coaching search again <laughs> for football <laughs> after the whole manny diaz thing so uh and covering basketball as well but yeah it's, it's definitely been an interesting experience covering that program because it's been such a unique turnaround uh, to the point where, again, where they're, they're relevant. They're one of the top group of five programs in the country. I, I Last I checked, I think Temple and UCF are tied for having the most um, group of five uh, players in the NFL. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, again, never a dull moment. I'm covering a lot of football, covering a lot of hoops, and, uh, again, I had the chance to cover Matt for 10 years, so it would uh, certainly be interesting to see him get a shot in the NFL. Hopefully, the Jets and Temple get this coaching search right. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to end at some point, right? Uh, You would think so, wouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again, John. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you, Scott. I had a great time. Appreciate it. Hey, guys. This is Greg Peterson. 
host of the podcast, Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. We heard all about Matt Rule's tenure at Temple, so now let's talk about his most recent job, which was as the head coach at Baylor. And to do that, we bring in my next guest. He runs Sikkim Sports, which covers Baylor for the Rivals Network. He's been covering Baylor for eight years, so nobody knows more about Baylor sports than this guy. He's as good as it gets on the subject, so I'm really privileged to have him with me today. Mr. Kevin Longquist. Kevin, what's going on, man? Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, you built me up, so, so now I've got a lot to live up to here. Well, don't make a fool out of me, Kevin. Let's get into it. And you tell me about Matt Rule and Baylor, but let's start at the very beginning. We talked about mm-hmm. Matt Rule as the head coach at Temple, so let's talk about the situation he was walking into. There are some people that don't realize what a dire situation it was at Baylor when Matt Rule showed up. So if you could, please walk us through everything that went down leading up to Matt Rule at Baylor and what a, let's just be honest about it, disaster he was walking into. Yeah, I think I think disaster is a fair word to use. Uh, for those who don't recall, maybe just heard two channels about you know, Baylor's uh, sexual assault scandal. This was a scandal that rocked the university back in uh, May of uh, 2016 when uh, then-head coach Art Biles was fired. Uh, it was actually Memorial Day uh, weekend when Art got fired, and it was coming off a pretty successful tenure there with, with Baylor. Uh, Baylor had gone through several sexual assault lawsuits. Uh, they're under investigation by the NCAA. They currently, they're in process with the NCAA right now and, and might be hearing about what kind of sanctions they could be dealing with, with uh, from the fallout from this scandal. Uh, so that's a part that's, that could be a, a part of this whole situation with rule. But anyway, uh, they went through the 2016 with a with an interim head coach by the name of Jim Grove, who was a former head coach at uh, Wake Forest, and uh, they were able to get through that season with Mac Rhodes, the new athletic director, came on board in the summer of 2016. His charge was to find a, a permanent head coach. Now, he had dealt with Matt Rule uh, previously when, when Mac was at Missouri, and uh, he was looking at head coaching candidates there, uh, and he did think about Rule, and I think he might have spoken with him about the Missouri job. I can't, not 100% on that, before he settled on Barry Odom, who was already on the Missouri staff. Um, and then when he looked at the Missouri, and then when he looked at the Baylor opening, uh, you know, he, he circled back with Rule once again, whose track record at Temple for rebuilding that program spoke for itself. And the Baylor program was something that needed to be an entire rebuild. Uh, it, because of the fact, for a couple of reasons. One, you had a lot of players coming and going through, uh, through suspensions, dismissals, that sort of thing. Uh, the community was pretty well rocking it. They were in the process of just going through tremendously bad, bad parts of uh, bad news, that sort of thing. And so it was a rehab that the school needed both on the field and off the field and changing the culture. And also rules style of football completely differed from what our Bryles' style was. So you had a different type of player that Matt was going to have to recruit. Uh, the, the first season was pretty much a disaster at 1-11. Uh, they had at least, I think it was about 12 players who were lost to season-ending injuries. There were some also disciplines, um, discipline issues that he had to get rid of some players during that season as well, that he got rid of like three of them during the middle of the 2017 season. Uh, 
And they wound up going 1-11 for a lot of those reasons, not only because of that, uh, the injuries, as I just mentioned, but because of the fact uh, that when you're changing from an, an air raid free-for-all type of football to a more physical brand of football, it's just change, It's just going to take a lot of time for things to, to become set in place and changing the culture, changing your way of doing things. And you know, But the one thing that Matt has done is recruit pretty solid classes. Now, he got here in, like I said, he got here in December of 2016. Baylor at the time, for that 2017 recruiting class, had one commit. And he was able to put together basically, it was a full court press when the recruiting, when the dead period ended in January, to where they were able to put together a class that ranked in the 30s in our rivals team rankings, which was extraordinary that they were even able to do that. And his next two recruiting classes have ranked somewhere in the 30s. Pretty respectable results for a program that was pretty much given up for dead. And then you look at what happened in 26, uh, 2018 with this team going 7-6, and six, winning the bowl game over Vanderbilt, the Texas Bowl, uh, having significant last-second victories uh, between Oklahoma State and Kansas State, uh, and then having to win its final regular season game against Texas Tech to get to a bowl. And I think, really... The Matt Rules type of football that we saw that he finally wanted to see was what we saw at the end between Texas Tech and Vanderbilt. Now, defensively, they had some issues, but I think defensively, it's harder to play defense in, in college football these days anyway because of how the game is so spread out. But nonetheless, you could just see that the way that they, that the Bears were playing in these last two games was exactly what he wanted to be. And so, and I think the expectations for the 2019 team or even higher. I think that's a team that could possibly get to eight wins and maybe be a dark horse for the Big 12 championship. Not going to say that they're a contender, but they can be somewhere like hanging around in November, once the calendar flips November, that sort of thing. It's amazing that he was able to get anybody to come there after what was going on. He must be a miracle worker as a recruiter. Yeah, I think the one thing is that I don't think really and a lot of people understood what his recruiting prowess was. I and mean, look, it, Texas has its, is very proud of its football down here, and Matt understood that. And he hired uh, three, three or four uh, coaches on his staff that were either going to be in administrative support roles or actually on his coaching staff with Texas ties. So we understood that, it had a, that he had to penetrate this market and be effective here. But what he also did was change the thinking from Baylor fans about well, you don't have to be necessarily exclusive to Texas to get all of your players like our files and his staff were. Uh, Baylor has had a history under Matt of getting kids out of New Jersey, getting kids out of Pennsylvania, uh, getting kids out of Florida. They've been offering kids out of uh, Georgia lately, and they just got a defensive tackle to sign for them out of Georgia uh, to complete the December portion of their recruiting class. So they've kind of broadened their recruiting base um, and change the thinking about all of this. And I think that's, and of course, where these guys are coming from, with the East Coast backgrounds that these coaches have, that that's kind of all played a part in this. And I think that's, it's, I think when that happened, that a lot of people were scratching their heads and feathers were ruffled saying, why are we not going after Texas kids exclusively? And I think that kind of changed and said, look, there's a lot of successful programs out there that are successful because they've, they players good players can be found everywhere, and I think that's where this has happened here. And so, um, and Baylor's had some success with doing that. 
he's got a reputation as a successful CEO type of head coach, and it sounds like what he's done down there has brought that approach because, as you're saying, he thought outside the box and went and got some of these players that other people in Texas wouldn't have been recruiting. He put some people on his staff that were in Texas that would know the landscape and be able to help him that way. So you would say that as far as building a staff, as far as putting together a team, he really is somebody that sees the complete picture? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, the one thing with, with Matt is that I, I think that as I've gotten to know him over the last couple of years and more so watching him this year, it's just the way that he interacts with his players, the way he even interacts with, with, with officials during the games if he's disputing the call or something like that. I mean, he'll... He'll make this point, but he's not, you know, he's, he's not raving or anything like that. He kind of keeps things into control. He'll fight for his players for sure, and he'll fight for his team for sure. Um, but I think what he's done is he's created a presence there that's, that's given, uh, that he knows what he believes, and he has the coaching staff around him that, that is putting his plan in place. He's very decisive in what he wants to do. And I think the other thing that he has going for him is that and I think this is his biggest quality is the fact, given his age and his early 40s, is the fact that he knows he can relate to a lot of players and communicate with players, which is so, uh, to me, I think your ability to communicate and have, if you will, scene control is very important uh, when it comes to your locker room. Because if you have buy-in from your players uh, and you have that element, that's more than half the battle. Then it's, the, then it's about the X's and the O's, the blocking and the tackling. And then that part will kind of take care of itself. How's he been as an in-game manager down there? Because a lot of the Jets' recent coaches, Todd Bowles, Rex Ryan, Herm Edwards, have had a lot of trouble with in-game decisions. Is he somebody who's known to not make those kind of basic mistakes with the clock or certain strategic blunders? Well, I think it's been a it's been a learning a learn as you go process. It was kind of ragged last year. There were some times that they were taking some timeouts. Uh, because they couldn't get the formations in and they let the clock get away from them. But you could, but that was last year when everyone was going through just the chaos of last year, trying to just exist through last year. Now, uh, this year it was a dramatic change. They were more organized. I wrote a piece actually coming after the, um, after the Vanderbilt game talking about when they called timeouts, there was a strategic reason for it. When they're lined up in a particular way, there's a reason for it. But there, there was just, they were more organized this year than they were last year. Now, not seeing him, what he did at Temple, I can you can imagine uh, that that's probably what happened mm-hmm. in the first year. Was pretty shoddy, and I think a lot of people need to understand that when you have a losing record, you have to kind of put some context into that because when you're taking over rebuilds, which is what Matt's done at two locations in college. That first year could look really, really ugly, which it was at Baylor, and which it was at Temple. But as you start, but you've got to look at the, I think you need to pay more attention to the trajectory because of what happened this year with Baylor. Were they crisp all the time? No. Um, but were they getting better? And like I said, the way they played in November at the end really was an indication of where this thing was going. And that's why I think the expectations for 2019 uh, are what they are. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Kevin, the crown jewel here in New York right now is Sam Darnold. So one of the biggest questions that any potential candidate is going to have to answer is how he would work with Sam Darnold and help bring him to that next level. Do you think Matt Rule could be that guy? Well, I think he has a way of understanding his quarterbacks. Now, down here at, at, at Baylor, he always kind of left. He had a philosophy or has a philosophy that 
Every week, positions are open. Nothing is guaranteed. That's why if you ever looked at the Baylor depth charts, you can obviously access them on the Baylor Athletic Department website. But if you ever looked at the two deep uh, for the quarterback position, uh, it was between sophomore Charlie Brewer as well as the grad transfer, uh, Jalen McClendon, who came from North Carolina State. Now, and Matt played both of them. Um, the, one, the one criticism I had of Matt is that I wasn't sure how he was managing his quarterbacks. Because he, I think that the, his his philosophy, though, behind it, right or wrong, whether or not people agree with it or not, was that he wanted to keep the, he wanted to keep the, if you will, the pressure and the competition out of pitch, so that he could get guys to perform at the highest level, to light a fire under them, if you will. Well, it, it obviously turned out that, and it wasn't a surprise that it was going to be Charlie Burr's team, and I think the one pivotal moment between Brewer and Charlie Brewer was a game they actually lost in Oklahoma in late September, but Charlie took a late hit from one of the Oklahoma defenders uh, late in the game. It was already lost, and Oklahoma was finishing it off. But Matt actually drew a penalty because he was jawing with the officials over a, uh, over this hit. And I think that was the moment, the defining moment, where, where Matt and Charlie had that breaking bread moment where they really had each other's backs. And you could just see where... Once that happened, even though Baylor you know, had, had some other rough moments like against TCU and then at West Virginia, but you could just see that the relationship between those two had become pretty well locked in and they understood each other. There was this understanding about how each one thinks, and Charlie, I think, just played at a far different level. And Charlie doesn't have the biggest arm, but he's a great competitor, and I think he reflected what Matt was asking of him to do. And you look at the way Baylor won some games this year. You look at... Uh, Three times Charlie led Baylor down the field for late-game victories. One against Oklahoma State through a touchdown pass with about seven seconds to go. Uh, one against Kansas State in a tie game, led them down to a game-winning field with about six seconds to go. And then, of course, in the uh, Texas Bowl, where he led Baylor to a game-winning touchdown pass about a minute and a half to go. And, and so you look at those qualities where it just everybody on that team just started to play with a load of confidence and really – and they were feeding off of what Charlie's leadership was. There was a there was a huge drop off when Charlie left the game and when McClendon came in during the course of the Big Twelve season. And I think as far as Sam Donald and him are concerned, you anyway, that's something that you just have to kind of wait and see if, if this were to happen. Of course, and uh, of course, Baylor doesn't want this to happen, <laughs> not in the least. But if that does happen, I think it's going to take some time for for Matt and Sam to probably get to know each other and understand each other's nuances and what makes what makes each other tick. I mean that's. Obviously, the most important relationship in it in pro football is head coach and quarter and number one quarterback being on the same page with each other. Three sixty five. Yeah, no question. And also, another important thing is being able to build a staff. In fact, maybe having an offensive coordinator and a quarterbacks coach that could help develop Sam Darnold as well. So, one of the biggest questions that anybody's going to have for somebody trying to make a jump from the college ranks to the NFL is whether or not they could put together a quality staff. Based on what you've seen at Baylor, do you think that Matt Rule would be capable of putting together a quality NFL staff? And do you think that what he does at Baylor would translate to the NFL game? Well, I'll say this about the staff. I think Matt's time around the game and being in that part of the Northeast, and of course his uh, stint with the Giants back in 2012, that you don't get this kind of reaction uh, and feedback from, from NFL media and other folks uh, about him Unless you don't, unless he doesn't already have, unless he already has some contacts in mind. So I think putting together a staff would be through his own contacts 
you know, consultation with some other folks and that sort of thing to, to put a staff together that would put him in a position to win. As far as his brand of football being able to translate, well, Matt likes to run the football. He wants to establish the running game. The one, the one thing that he did at Baylor is that there was not going to be, and he did this at Temple too, where that he wanted to have, he wants you know, even distribution of, of carries between three backs. There's not going to be potentially a lead dog. Now that could change with the Jets if this were to happen, but. His philosophy at Baylor is that he wanted one guy to have about maybe 20 carries and the next guy have about 10 to 12 and then have that third, third back to be that, be that big type of back that can pick up third and one or fourth and a foot or something like that. Um, so I, I think that kind of football, and then he'll be an effective, tra- effective pass, you know, have an effective passing game. It, it, look at the way Baylor played offense in the Big 12 season and people might disregard because the Big 12 just put up, always puts up chunks of yards and points. And that sort of thing. What I can tell you is that Matt was very Matt understood that he had to adjust to the Big Twelve style of football, and he did. So I think that Matt Matt's very keen about how to make adjustments to what the game calls for, and I think that's what what he potentially could bring if he moves on to the next level. Any question in your mind whether or not he'd be able to relate to the pro players as opposed to these eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old kids? Well, I think that's the, the the question, but I think that's the question of all 32 coaches in the NFL of being able to relate to that. I think it's a matter of, uh, and as I mentioned a moment ago, I think his ability to communicate with all types of players and all types of personalities is, is one of his strengths. Now, you have a little bit more control over your players in college in terms of, because you, know, you can renew scholarships and you don't have to renew scholarships to recruit and that sort of thing. And, and you're in, in doing in-home meetings. With the NFL, it's a different animal because you've got millions of dollars and, and huge egos in place. So I think what Matt, so I think what Matt would have to do is, how do I adjust to this? But it's still being able to just, being able to communicate with guys on their level to making sure that they understand your expectations and you understand what they're looking for. And I think it's just a matter of, I think he can do it. Uh, it's just a matter of, um, that's going to be one of the most important things that if, if he does move on to the next level, is how does how does that skill translate to the highest level? Because there might be some tinkering, but I think he's got the foundation to do it. Kevin, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You're somebody who has covered Matt Rule down at Baylor. You've gotten to know him a little bit. Just gut reaction. Let's say Woody Johnson, Christopher Johnson, Mike McCagnan call him after these interviews are done, and they say... Matt, we would like you to be the next head coach of the New York Jets. Do you think he would accept the offer, and what do you think the reaction around Baylor would be if he did? I can't give you a definitive answer on that. I think he's really torn on this. If he's offered it, I think it would depend on the package that the Jets, that the Jets offer. If it's Because he's getting paid pretty well at Baylor right now. So the Jets are going to have to go above and beyond with what he's getting at Baylor in order to, in order to extend the offer to him. Um, if it's that, then I think he would take, if it's, because you know, he's making an excess of four million with Baylor right now. So the Jets are going to have to come in higher on this, in my opinion, to do that. If they do come that, I think he would do it. Um, but it's going to have to be, it's not going to be just a money thing. It's going to have to be a lot of other things in order to get it though, because he's really happy at Baylor. Um, and he's done it. And the fact that he's been able to turn this program around and get the community behind the program, that sort of thing. Um, if he takes it, uh, I think Baylor could move pretty. I mean, Baylor would of course be devastated, you know, disappointed, hurt, that sort of thing. I wouldn't begrudge him for doing it because, you know, I wrote a column two weeks ago saying that 
this was right before Black Monday because obviously with Matt's flirtation with the NFL last year, I said this is something that everyone's going to have to look at. And this could be his dream job in the NFL because he grew up as a Jets fan. And I think what's going to be, and this is your your dream job outside of you know, him, you know, if the Penn State job ever ever opens. So it's really a matter of what could he, what does he really want to do? And it's a timing thing. Does he? I think he could. He could be very successful at Baylor in the coming years um, and build that into a, if you will, a, a credible program and maintain it at the upper division of the Big 12. Um, but I think as far as Baylor is concerned, if he left, I think they could move on because he, Matt, because at the very least, Matt has shown that you can win again at Baylor, and that's the most important thing. So I think Mac Rose, the athletic director down here, uh, could find a good uh, replacement for him if that indeed happens. Woody Johnson, Chris Johnson, you heard the man. If you want Matt Rule, you better show him the money. But either way, Kevin, it is a good time to be Matt Rule, isn't it? Because either you stick around at Baylor and you've got a really good situation there that you're building back up, or you go to the NFL and make even more money. Not a terrible place to be right now, right? Yeah, there, there, are, there are worse problems to have for sure. And, and I think, you know, like I said, uh, I think it speaks to where Matt is in this industry and how highly he's thought of and. It also validates the uh, the job that Mac Rhodes, the athletic director, uh, did in hiring him because it's it's shown that Matt's style of football can translate in two different parts of the country and be successful at the same time. Also shows for your sake that if Matt Rule does leave, that you've got somebody who is smart and knows how to find the next guy. So hopefully, if Matt Rule comes to the Jets, he's successful, and Baylor would be successful finding a replacement for him so that everything works out for everybody. Kevin Lonquist, the editor of Sikkim Sports. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about Matt Rule's tenure at Baylor. Really appreciate it. For anybody that's unfamiliar with your great work, why don't you go ahead and give out your information? Sure. You can find us on the web. It's uh, SikkimSports.com. It's S-I-C-E-M Sports.com. You can also find us on Twitter uh, at Sikkim Sports. Uh, that's where we have also, or we kind of tweet about everything under the sun about that. Or if you want to go the conventional way on the uh, website, it's Baylor.Rivals.com. Kevin, thanks again, man. I really hope that we can do this again if the Jets end up hiring Matt Rule because we're going to be looking to go way, way, way in-depth if they do end up making that move. In the meantime, though, check out Kevin's great work over at Sikkim Sports. I hope you enjoyed this special presentation of Meet the Candidates, Matt Rule edition. We'll have another Meet the Candidates episode tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, for all the latest and greatest in New York Jets content and podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.